Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. Hope you're all doing well today. Uh, my latest single, Burn, is out now. My latest short film, uh, A Way Out, is on YouTube. And my newest album, Dragon, will be dropping soon on July 22nd, 2022. So please stick around and stay tuned for uh, that one. Of course, more podcast episodes on the way. So I appreciate all the support. I have about three uh, general concepts I want to get uh, to at some point um, in the near future. Three different episode ideas. See, the, real quick, for those who may be curious, the way I do podcasts, I do them when I have at least some time to at least get them started. When I'm in the mood or when I'm inspired or learn something new about whatever and I feel like talking about it and kind of just sharing my thoughts, opinions, and informed um, knowledge, right? And it's not the most structured, as you could probably tell. And I realize a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people, oh, he's just blabbering on. Well, I am, but it all connects. It's all interconnected to the main topic at, at hand. And I, I always find it interesting. And I, I actually learn more and draw connections and learn more about myself and learn more about certain things while I'm doing them. So it's very uh, cathartic for me as well. So I hope you all enjoy that and, and understand that's kind of the process. But usually what happens, uh, unless I just have a idea on the spot and I got the time to record, usually I just write the, the idea down, just a brief one line, like, oh, this topic, and then specifically maybe about this, right? And then sometimes I write in a bullet por- format just the four or five segments I want to get across. Right, the intro, disclaimer, the... The this, the that, the pros, the cons, whatever. And that's it. And then I freestyle and completely just talk about it for the rest of the time. So I've got three episodes I do want to get across. But for right now, this one will take precedence. We're going to talk about, once again, Elden Ring. (laughs) And uh, that might not be as enticing for people, but this is a big game. Um, you know, in this, this podcast channel, I'd say 80% of the time is about video games, so we're going to get into it. But uh, for me personally, I'll just say that Elden Ring has been my favorite video game of this year, and it's easily in my top five video games of all time. And I've been playing video games for 15 years, and I've played hundreds of them. And this is by far one of my favorites. Now, I've always loved the From Software formula ever since I got introduced at Dark Souls 3. I know, I'm late into the game, but... Mind you, I was too young to play the first two Dark Souls, and after I played Dark Souls 3, I thought about getting in, going back and getting into it, and I did. I played a little bit of Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2, and I appreciated it, but by the time I was getting around to those, Sekiro came out, and that was just so good. The game is so good. It's different. It's definitely different. It's not as expansive. It's not as, it's not nearly as friendly. It is, um, and there are some hardware limitations that are noticeable. Elden Ring is a massive step up. And by far one of the just the best games I've ever played. Like the, in almost every category, I can't think of things that are wrong. I don't think I've ever logged as much time in a game like this in my life. In an open world RPG that's as expansive and as in-depth and as challenging as it is, I never stick with those for too long, even if I love them. They just don't grab me. Now I've had four or five episodes on Elden Ring. So if you want to know more in-depth or my initial thoughts after the first two weeks of playing or ten days of playing it than the first two months of playing it, then the, you can. And I'll go back and reiterate some of those points, but I'm not going to go 
down the line and talk on things I've already spent hours covering. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of my time. But I will just say the reason why I love Elden Ring is because it's the refined formula from software, that Dark Souls-esque formula. But they've added quality of life and convenience points that make it more enjoyable. It's the first time it's open world, but that doesn't take away from it, where it could have very easily. It adds value. And they, it is the best open world game I've ever played because it doesn't force you to do anything you don't want to do. Okay, maybe one or two areas you gotta do to unlock the next area, if you wanna unlock the next area. But that's all. Every boss, every main boss, every smaller regional boss, every enemy is optional. You have multiple ways to build your character, to invest your skill points, to invest in upgrading your weapons. There's multiple types of weapons and special attributes to those weapons in the form of Ash of Wars. There are more ways to tackle an objective than ever before. And on top of that, the traversal of the open world, for the most part, is flawless. In fact, the only time where it's not is sometimes where you think you should be at least able to scale or traverse a little easier vertically on Torrent, your trusty steed. Uh, and you're not, and oh well. And then sometimes the fall damage is a little hard to gauge, and it gets a little frustrating. But it's okay. Because every part of the world is fascinating to look at, is... And, and there's something that's so intuitive in its design that when you're navigating it, you have an idea if there's going to be something there, like something truly worth exploring or not. But then again, for the people who really want to cover every nook and cranny, there is hidden stuff. There are things tucked away in pockets. It could be a small item. It could be a really cool, unique weapon. But everything is done to your own volition is not holding your hand. In fact, it's kicking the shit out of you. This game is very challenging, but it's one that you learn to master. Through the weapons, through upgrading yourself, you become more powerful, and so it becomes a little easier, but the enemies become more powerful as you expand, so it kind of levels it back out. Your skill, your natural instincts in the game, and how it all flows, becomes so much better. You become a better player. It forces you to. But it doesn't break your enjoyment to do so like some games like Sekiro might. Sekiro. Because in Sekiro, you don't upgrade weapons. You upgrade your abilities, but you have one katana, you're one player. It's truly a single-player game, and I like it for that. I like that it did that. It's open-level-ish, whereas some of the uh, enemies and ways, you have multiple ways of approaching it to an extent, but not, not really, maybe two to three options at any given point. Great traversal mechanics, but the thing is, when you're fighting a boss... You have to fight that boss. You have to finish it. You have to move on. That's the only way to progress through the game. And you want to progress through the game because it's a great game. Right? So. That's definitely uh, an aspect to consider. When you're doing game design, how, how much natural intrigue do you want in the game? Ubisoft doesn't give a fuck about that anymore. They used to. Ubisoft will clutter and overwhelm the user experience. Literally, they will just fill the mini-map, the icons, all the data. They will fill it up to the brim with pointless shit. 
right? It might have the main objective. Good. You know, if people need help to find it, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not against that. But th th it has every little thing. It has small shops you can go to. It has small shit that really doesn't add to the experience. It's just if you want to do it, it's there. It's all there. You can't get rid of it. And it tells you this task list of objectives. And, and all these open world games of modern design from 2010 on, for the most part, you have to talk to someone to initiate a quest, then you have to go back to them and do it. And the quests are where everything matters, where you actually get good experience and points and stuff, and where story progresses. And, you know, the narrative is sometimes very important and interesting, and you want to see that. It gets away... It, when you're playing Assassin's Creed, if you're not assassinating enough, you start feeling weird because you're like, well, what's the point of the game? Like, yeah, it sounds fucked up. All you want to do is kill. But no, you want action. You want combat. We're not playing a video game to watch a movie. If we were to do that, we would watch a good movie. There's plenty of great films out there that should be watched. Why would I play a video game that's not well made and not a good story and not well written? Why would I watch the cinematics for a game like that? If it doesn't add to it. Now, there are mm, games with great cinematics and great writing. In fact, I think Cyberpunk is up there. I know it has controversy, but I think Cyberpunk's masterfully written in terms of its dialogue. It's actually interesting, and it's a good story, and it's well-paced. It's not too long in the tooth, and of course, if you get bored by it, you can skip the cutscene. Good video games give you options and tools, let you be aware of what you have at your disposal, and get you on a good gameplay loop with enough change or progression or ways of having some sort of evolution in the game lifespan of when you're playing it that makes you feel like you're still obtaining and achieving something, not just completing a task because you're, you booted up the game. And a lot of open world games fail to understand that those elements, or maybe they understand it, but they fail to execute uh, a digestible format. It's all about quantity and not quality. Elden Ring struck a perfect balance of both, but it's not overwhelming. It can be, and it definitely will be at times, but when you open the map of Elden Ring compared to any other open-world map of modern game design, even Red Dead, but Red Dead's a little better. Um, Elden Ring's map is a topographical, traditional map that has very minimal data on it. In fact, when you first start the game, it has fucking nothing but the first area you're in. And then it's all brown, and as, of course, you go through that area, or it's foggy and brown. There's two layers to it. Technically three. Then you get to an area, right, and that fog lifts, and then you can kind of see the... And then it's just brown. There's no topographical data, there's no textures, there's no color, there's nothing to the map still. Except main roads and little golden markers. Small, small. You have to really zoom in. Those small golden markers are where the maps are. You pick up map fragments. You pick up the map fragment, then you have all the color and stuff and detail, and you need that. Of course, the map fragments aren't hidden. They're on the main road, so as long as you're traveling right into that main area, at least once you'll see it. There's no icons. There's nothing like that. They late, Of recent, they added the NPC icons once you unlock an area. Or, I mean, the merchants. 
and stuff. And they'll also add the people you've already met with so you don't forget where they are. That's more of a quality life convenience improvement. Other than that, I kid you not, there's no tasks, there's no objectives, there's no mini-map markers, none of that. There's a small compass you have at the top of your screen. Or, I mean, uh, um, a compass where you, you know, for where you're facing, not a radial design. My point is, it's very minimalistic, and it doesn't give you a lot of intel unless you know what you're looking for, unless you know how to look at the map. And if you don't know how to read a general topographical map, you are going to struggle. And sometimes it's hard to tell, I admit. Yeah, part of the best part of certain topographical maps is texture. When you're actually holding one, you can feel the, ra the raised edge of the map. You'll know, oh, that's an elevated point. And I have a little legend, a little note at the bottom saying this is a 4,000-foot elevation, whatever. Of course, it's digital, so you don't have that luxury. Um, but it's pretty clear, pretty concise for the most part. And you can place your own markers that stay there and your own temporary beacons until you get there to help guide you when you're mapping your own direction. But there's absolutely nothing, and, and, I'm, and I really do mean this, there's no other game that does this. There's absolutely nothing or no one telling you what to do, and there's no box that you check off. There's nothing like that. You could you could meet somebody, an NPC. There are a handful. They're not too many. They're just probably about 20, 25 in a massive... This game is massive, by the way. Um, and there's, there's nothing on the map other than sites of grace when you find them, which are rest points, fast travel points, save points. Very important. The bonfire equivalent, right? The, and now they've added once you defeat a boss, it's a general boss arena. It shows the name of the boss. And then, of course, the NPC, the, the merchants. That's it. That's all it shows on the map. And the, the, the name of the city. Or the name, you know, little icon. But that's just dead center of that region. It's not actually... You know, that's it. It doesn't show you, oh, there's a chest here. It doesn't show weapons. It doesn't show um, every boss, every enemy variant. You know how, like, most games it shows, oh, there's a boss here. And it shows you all of them. You ever see a Ghost Recon Wildlands map? It, that's a phenomenal game, by the way. Another great example of an open world game, even though it's cluttery, even though there's a lot. It's a very fun game. I actually have nothing against that game, but its map design is cluttery. There's an icon for everything. I think you could filter them off, but anyway. So from the get-go, it does that. It gives you general suggestions on the map, this gold light, right? And general beacons that just kind of faintly point in the general direction of the next main boss of that region, mind you. So for people who just want to get through the main bosses and, and nothing more, they have that and they're not completely lost. This game was designed knowing the internet exists, knowing people can look it up and will if they want to, but I didn't look up stuff for the majority of my first playthrough. Every once in a while when I saw a cool weapon because I was scrolling through TikTok or Instagram, I wanted to get that weapon. I'll look that up to go find it, but other than that, I wanted to experience things naturally, and I'm glad I did that for my first playthrough because that was a quality experience. I was constantly floored. It was, it was the ideal way of instilling adventure through the player's choices and the consequences of their actions. So beyond that, with the variety of weapons, the skill points, 
the the enemy types and the variants and how many enemies there are, how unique they all look. All the regions are a painting. They're intricately interwoven. They can be confusing, but there's only really two or three general areas I found truly confusing. The rest of it actually flowed and made sense even if I was never there before for my first playthrough. It just kind of made sense. And it was almost always intriguing. It was a perfect balance of an open world game filled to the brim with content and depth to it that I still feel like I've completed a lot of it. Uh, there's still probably a good 20% I'm, I just haven't seen yet. And I'm on my second playthrough and I've pl pushed over 200 and I'd say 220 plus hours now. That's how much content is there, but if you just play for 45 hours, you could still finish the game and have a lot of fun doing it. And at no point is it telling you how to or forcing you and that was one of the most important designs. As well as being able to quickly summon your steed to jump anywhere and the fast travel points. You can fast travel anywhere as long as you're not in combat, even if you're not at a site of grace. And of course, you can only fast travel to points, site of graces that you have activated and found. Duh. Otherwise, what's the point in exploring the world at least the first time? And that's it. And then it's the Soulsborne formula, right? You got your sword, you got your weapon, and you try to fight. You can do magic, you can do ranged. Ranged combat is now more of a thing than ever before. And there are unique ashes of war, and there are two types of uh, there are two type of weapons. There's the the named weapons and the non named. Non named are pretty versatile. You can slap any kind of almost any kind of armament. I I mean uh, any kind of uh, ash of war to it, which is a modular thing that you can equip that will give it an extra unique characteristic to it and some perk buffs. You know, so if you add a Flame of Ardent or whatever it's called, it can, to a, to a, a katana, which is a just a base weapon. The katana is already a good weapon, does complete damage, quick, you know, good range. It's one of the better swords in the game, actually. Add that to it, it adds a little fire damage, and then when you use the special ability, pressing a left trigger, um, it will... Um, Shoot a flame thing, and use a little bit of your FP, your you know the blue bar, a little bit of your magic. So anyway, so that adds a level of intricacy to weapons that already are intricate enough in its natural design, with a light and heavy attack, with different move sets, different combinations to it. Of course, with different armor and and other abilities, and then on top of that, they're named weapons. Now they're generally rarer, more powerful from the base you can't customize them much and you can only upgrade them plus 10 whereas a base weapon is plus 25 but here's the kicker their special ability is unique to them and you won't get it anywhere else for the most part and they're usually pretty incredible and pretty fun to use in fact i use named weapons now i, I don't really use base weapons but base weapons are perfectly fine and i have both and i like both and of course you get your armor you got your talisman that give you little buffs and things you got your skill points that you allocate in Right, and then you get better. You got blocking, you got dodging, you got stabbing, slashing, jumping, special abilities. Its gameplay loop is golden. It's very solid. It's extremely fun. The combat is well paced. It's very difficult, but it's also not unfair and unbalanced. And it strikes a perfect balance of combat fun and RPG exploredness, exploration, I should say. 
And for me, loving this formula and loving what they did to the game, not making me feel bogged down by the weight of an open world game, but making me want to naturally explore. I've never spent so much time or had so much fun in an open world game in my life, and I think this is by far one of the best games I've ever seen, played, or heard of, and it's an absolute masterpiece. And even if it's not your style or if you don't like it, I think everyone who likes video games or appreciates the art form should be inclined to at least pick it up at a friend's place, at the very least try it for a couple hours. And just so you get an idea... You don't have to love it. There are plenty of people who don't. And you don't have to buy it. But I do think it is just one of those things that most people should at least experience briefly so they understand why it's so important to the culture of video games. Because Elden Ring is by far one of the best games I've ever played and is an absolute masterpiece. So, let's get into some of the more recent news and what's to come for Elden Ring about four and a half months in. Stay tuned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, I have beaten the game once. I'm on New Game Plus One. Journey 2, if you will. I'm level 215, and I'm having a fucking blast. And actually, um, you know, I started on PC, and I got to the Frozen region. Got to about a level 100. And uh, I bought it on console to play with my buddies. Co-op works just fine. It's not perfect. I've said this before. It needs some improvements to make it a little less tedious and a little more open and fun, but it still works just fine and is a blast to play in co-op. So I highly recommend that if you got friends that play that. And if you're kind of intimidated on if you think you could play, if it's not your type, if you don't like difficult games, but you still want to play it, if you have a buddy who plays consistently and knows the game, then if you get it and they're willing to help you, they can help you blaze through it teach you things really expedite the process because there there are learning curves there are times you're going to get jazz kicked regardless but there really is a point a peak point where you get enough equipment and get strong enough where everything may still present a challenge but it won't be so brutal and it really can be brutal in the first 30 to 40 hours of gameplay really i mean i'm not kidding it's it's hours and and some of the most difficult moments in gaming in my life have come from elden ring but it was so rewarding so rewarding. So, um, anyway, the recent success of Elden Ring. First off, Elden Ring is one of the most critically acclaimed games of 2022. Of course, it's by far one of my favorite games of all time, and it's the best game I've played this year. So I think if it doesn't win Game of the Year, I'm going to lose my freaking shit, because I can't think of another game that even punches close to it, crossing all genres and, and borders here. But also, for From Software's history, they're more niche. They, they're they plenty successful, right? And they're owned by Bandai Namco, right? So that they have great success, especially with the Dark Souls franchise. But they're not, they're not selling like a Call of Duty game. Until this year. As of Friday, no, whatever, a couple days ago, they announced their earnings. Um, the, the quarter two earnings, I believe. And their earnings... Elden Ring is the highest-selling game of the year for a full-priced game because there are now multiple variations. Free-to-play, microtransactions, mobile, uh, if it's streaming on Game Pass or something of that nature. No, no. Full-price, $60 game that is brand-spanking new to the market within the year. This is the highest-selling game. It's beaten out all the CODs. It's beaten out every game. It's the highest-selling game of this year. And it has sold over 20 million units, I believe. I believe that's the latest report. It was like at 12 million within the first two months. It's sold another 8 million since then. 
That's a lot of units, people. That's 20 million game copies. That's 20 million $60 price games. Globally. I think Dark Souls 3 at the time was their highest selling game before Elden Ring, and that hit 10 million within its first year. Elden Ring crossed 10 million within its first month. So you can see Bandai Namco, of course, being the parent company and loving all the money coming in, as of course from software is probably just happy with the success of the game and its critical claim. Because it's a piece of art. It is masterful. So that always feels good from the creator side. I, I understand that. And then also the commercial side is helping. They're increasing their studio a little bit. They are working on other games. They've been working on other games. Um, they're a big studio. They're not the biggest studio in the world. They're of about 350, 350 people, I believe. So they're not nearly as big as something like Ubisoft, which is over, like, over 10,000 people easily. It's more than that. Uh, Activision Blizzard is uh, like six to 8,000 people, I believe. So we're talking of a studio of 300 people that made the highest-selling game that beat out a Call of Duty game. In terms of full-price sales. That's because Vanguard sucks. <laughs> so they had an easy year. Uh, not easy. It's not easy to do what Elden Ring did. But for that, especially for that genre, it's very difficult. That genre doesn't sell. It's just hard. It's a very difficult, hardcore game, and it's pictured as such. But because it's open world, because it has options, because of multiplayer, because of the innovation, it is more accessible than ever. While not easy, it is more opening to players getting into this format. And now there are so many more people who are going to be into this kind of game for the future. So let's talk about the future. Specifically for From Software in terms of their devs and their game timeline. I'm so invested in this game, I bought the complete, the two um, complete guidebooks. I don't need the guidebooks, I've already beaten the game, but I kind of want it for the artwork. I kind of want to have a book version of it. There's not going to be, there's no art book for sale, unfortunately, otherwise I would have bought that. But this just gives in-depth of the world, the lore, some unique art, maybe some concept. It's two volumes. I bought it, bought them both for like 20 bucks a pop. They were on sale, and I pre-ordered them. And they, they go up in value from this publisher. I've seen like the Dark Souls 3 book now and the Sekiro book are worth over $200 in value. So I wanted to get it now before it got too expensive. I'd just love to have a book on one of my favorite games of all time. I think it'd be cool. Even if I don't really need it for f any functioning purpose because I've already beaten it, there might be something new in there. And more so, it's just kind of cool to have a book on my favorite game. So I, I did buy that. Um, so the big question now, there have been updates, there have been balances, some UI changes, some bug fixes, all that kind of stuff. Networking and performance improvement. And it really has improved since day one in terms of bugs, in terms of frame rate stability, in terms of weapon balancing, especially in terms of all this other stuff. It's come a long way. It's not perfect. There's still some weapons that are far too powerful. In PvP, that's the only time it matters. It doesn't matter in PvE. Because no matter what, you always scale up and find an enemy that'll kick the shit out of you. But in PvP, there are just three or four main weapons that people just use and spam, and it's annoying. Because it's almost a guaranteed win. So when they invade you and stuff. But anyway, uh, it's not the end of the world, it's small encounters. But here's the bigger thing content. I've never gone through a game that's so dense and... You, I mean, it's almost ungrateful to love a game this much and play it as much as great, but like, I. I've beaten Elden Ring. I've explored a lot of it. Almost everything is retreading. I've barely stumbled into anything new. And that's just because 
I've logged over 200 hours in this game. What else would I need? That's a lot of hours, people, in four months. And yet somehow I still finished an album and a movie in between that. So when I tell everybody there is a thing about time management where you can still find time, you know, I'm a full-time college student who made a short film and made actually, th I'm in the process of making three albums two short films, I finished one short film, I finished one album, making more, doing podcasts, doing all the psychic social media, meeting new people, making friends, staying in a relationship, keeping up with the family, doing all of that in the middle of a full school year, and having 200 plus hours in Elden Ring alone, there is something to time management, and I still get six to eight hours of sleep a night, I'm telling you people. I don't have the hardest life ever, though, so I do have a lot of extra time on my hands, especially over the summer, and I'm very appreciative for it. But that's, I'm just, just a general thought. There is something to time management. Don't ever forget that. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, I've played a lot of this game, and so I, I've gotten, uh, in theory, I should be able to be happy with what I have. There's still New Game Plus. There's still some stuff I'm uncovering. I'm playing it today, and I'm still having a blast. Just going through and fighting the bosses again. That's how well made this game is. But I still like having new stuff. I still like finding new things. I still like new challenges. And I love this game. So there's not going to be Elden Ring 2 for a very long time, if there ever will be. There may not be. I don't know. Part of me thinks it's not really in From Software from software's design because this is so big but then again they have a trilogy of dark souls so who knows but until then that'll be five six eight years or more i'm not worried about that dlc there has been dlc for every from software game other than sekiro but that was for a different reason almost every from software game starting in 2000s and new content and I want to discuss specifically what I think it may be. And then I'll discuss what I want it to be. And then I'll wrap it up. This doesn't have to be too long of an episode. I don't want it to be. But I do want to discuss this. So let's get into it. Welcome back, ladies and gents. So, here we go. What do I think... There's only been leak. There's only been rumors. There's no official confirmed DLC news. So, as of July, what's today? The tenth, ninth. As of July 9th, there is no confirmed DLC. It's all speculation. Now the story. There is a story. It's more locked behind the lore, but it's also more present than any other from software story. Of course, it's written by the. Uh, George R. Martin, right? Yeah. The R screws me up. I was going to say Tolkien. It's not. You know, the acclaimed writer of Game of Thrones. He and Miyazaki wrote the storyline for Elden Ring. And it's a great storyline. It's very interesting. It's hard to follow to an extent, and I didn't get too into it. I was more into the game and the lore and the atmosphere, but I will say this is basically what it is. The lands between this beautiful golden era kingdom fell to grace after the 
Knights of the Round Table, essentially. I'm butchering the story. I don't know all of it. It's very complex. <laughs> and I didn't follow it all. I was too... I watched the cinematics. I kept up on some lore, but I was just too interested in playing the damn game, not worrying about the story. That's just how I do in games like this. Anywho. They're all assassinated by the Black Knives and da-da-da, and then chaos reigned, and then somebody tried to take control, and then there was a battle for the ages, and you become a tarnished, and you wake up in a crumbling world falling from the grace of the Golden Era, and you are trying to restore your power and claim your rightful throne as the Elden Lord to reign supreme above all and bring light back into the darkness of the world. That's the best I got for you. And by doing so, you have to slain all of the main bosses, which are of the round table, the people who are in charge, essentially, who fell from grace. Good versus evil, angels versus demons, dark versus light, all that stuff. And it's great. It's well executed. It's very interesting. And there's so much more intricacy to the characters, right? And to the origin and the weaponry. I mean, there really is, could be its own book. I'm not doing it justice in its story, so I apologize for the fans of the storyline. I'm just doing a quick recap so people kind of have an idea of where it kind of leans in this high fantasy world. More importantly, though, there are pockets of the story that can be explored furthermore via DLC. And some people think that Mikola, um, who is the slain queen, I believe, or princess, um, stuffed in an egg at Mogwin's palace, <laughs> as me and my buddy says, the egg lady, um, she's dead by that point, and then, of course, Melenia, the bane of everyone's existence, her blade is of Mikola, so she stole it, or something, it's very weird, <laughs> See brother and sister dynamic or something. I don't get it. But my point is, there's a lot of intricacy, and there's still a lot of open-ended questions that can be answered via DLC storylines. Content that was either clearly cut or just didn't fit the final build of everything because, for whatever reason. I guess that's what cut means, but sometimes when people say cut, the connotation is it was cut because it wasn't good or didn't work well or something and sometimes it is the case but other times it's just because there's something more favorable that kept it all better across the board i think this game was perfectly edited of course i don't know what they cut out and i don't know what they kept in that was what might have been worse than what they cut out but from what i could tell this is pretty great and if anything that like was cut out just because it didn't fit the ship release date or it was too buggy and they needed time to rework it or it just didn't make sense in the main game if they put all that work in it why not put it in as dlc so there's a question about that character maybe we see what happened to them maybe it follows after um maybe it follows the black knives and before like the goal like it's a time traveling dlc which is plausible you'd think that's ridiculous it's plausible because when you fight the dragon placidix or whatever the fuck his name is when you fight that big-ass scary dragon, which is a dope boss, by the way, highly recommend it. It's optional, but it's worth it. You, To fight him, you go back in time. Like, it rewinds time to the era where he was alive. Because when you're in that place to go to him, he's fossilized. So basically, you're the cause of his death in his fossilization. 
by going back in time. So you could do that in either certain areas or in the the entire next DLC could be that. And you could see how the order fell. And maybe you could take part in being a guardian to try to prevent it in some capacity. I don't know how that'd lend to an open world. That seems more of a linear mission structure, but it, I don't know. I'm not a game designer, but... Anyway, my point is there's a bunch of different multiple, I'm just naming a couple for example, but there's multiple different avenues for the storyline. And that lends to the design of an area. Now, in the history of From Software, when they add DLC, their DLC is usually regarded as actually their best content because it's polished. Now, they doesn't take away from the base game. Everyone says the base games are so well made, and they are. At that time, sometimes they're just masterpieces. But the DLC is just polished and improved forms of that. That's a little more fine-tuned and focused, and it's already coming off the backs in the development of the game itself. Everybody already loves it, and they're hungry for more. So there's a different expectation and context to the DLC. There's not as much pressure for if it's not great, because it's truly optional. It's not required to enjoy the game. It is a different price point. It's cheaper, and it's not as much content. So there's a level of expectations that are different, and the developers have time to see what worked and what didn't and truly figure it out because their games are so in-depth, people will be playing it for months and months and still love it, and by the time they drop DLC, it's usually perfect timing. Now, when Dark Souls 3, which was a 2014 or 15 game, I believe, dropped, its DLC took a year to come out, and its DLC was massive another 10 hours worth of gameplay at the very least i believe a whole different region it was great i actually played the dlc it was phenomenal but so the question is with elden ring being its biggest their biggest game by far by a metric fuck ton how long will it take to get some new content out and how do you do that right there have been balances there have been content fixes but as of the game dropping to now there has been no new content included in the game no new enemies no new uh weapons no new areas maybe some npcs here and there or more npc quest lines that weren't fully fleshed out and that's fine but i don't really count that fully because it was already kind of there it just needed to be a little more you know highlighted for people which is good adds to the quality of the game so what now in my mind well, here's what I think. I think they're going to add a multiplayer arena, like one of the coliseums that a lot of people have seen that are empty. They're going to add that for an optional place to go and do duels and have people watch and stuff, just as an extra little fun element. But that's not going to be the main content. There's going to be multiplayer improvements, stability and co-op improvements and all that. I do think there's going to be a new region. I don't think it's going to be as big as something like um, Lurnia or Khalid, maybe. I don't think it'll be as big or as expansive as that, or Limgrave. It might be the size of the Royal Capital, which is pretty big, but it's compact and dense because of its streets. So it might be that size at its biggest, and it might be as big as the Hallig Tree area. Or the crumbling Faramazula. And for those who played the game, these are a little smaller pockets that are kind of separate. They're still kind of big. They still take maybe an hour or two to complete on your first playthrough, especially depending on your skill level, your understanding of the game, and, and, and your general navigation through a couple hours. They could be that size. 
if they're making DLC from scratch, from the point of drop, and they release it by October, I could see that being a possibility. Here's the thing. I don't think that would be a good idea, nor do I think that's going to be remotely true, because apparently there's a fuck ton of cut content. This is a massive game. Of course there would be. And that doesn't mean you delete the content. It just means it didn't fit this time. So they've been probably reworking it, reconfiguring it, seeing where it fits, and finding ways to make it in a packageable, fun, and expected DLC to release. Here's the other thing. DLC is a unique thing because we don't see it as much anymore. Full price games, because they usually have this free-to-play online on-service mech metric. Usually it's multiplayer arena, so they just add maps for free. That's understandable, those games. In Elden Ring, it's so fucking big and expansive. If they had a $20 DLC or a $30 it's worth it. Hell, $40, $50 may be worth it, though. Then that's pretty close to the full price of the actual game. And then you would expect it to be damn near the size of the next of, a, of the entire Elden Ring game, which it won't be. So I'd say $30 to $20 is an optimal price range for one DLC pack. And I think that DLC pack needs to be an entire region that is intricate, like all the regions in the game. And I think it should be near the size of Limgrave, with caves and an underground network system involved, with at least two, at least at the very least, two main bosses, if not three or four, F five to eight big bosses that would kick the shit out of you that feels near like a main boss, and then like 20 smaller bosses and enemies and great enemies, and then like 100 bajillion smaller enemies that will still kick the shit out of you. That seems like a fair balance. And then plus maybe maybe f 10 new named weapons, 15 maybe, all varying in different classes. Um, some new magic and potions and stuff. Some maybe a couple, five or six new talisman. Some new spells, incantations, all of that. And then, of course, maybe five or six new base weapons or more. With like two or three new side quest lines. All in all, a region like that, that's a pretty big one, pretty dense and intricate, could add a, another 10 to 15 hours worth of playtime, give or take. Though, here's the difference, and here's where it gets tricky, okay? First of all, I think there shouldn't be just one DLC. I think at the very minimum, if they only do X amount of DLC and then they're done with new content for the game other than just general bug fixes and balancing, but general new content, I think at the very least they have to have two main DLC packs that are quite big, quite expansive, and worth the bang for the buck. And if they got to do a season pass deal where it's like $40 to get both when they come out, great. I don't care. That sounds great. But here's the thing. Um, I think it should be two minimum if they're not going to keep doing them continuously, which they probably won't. They'll probably only do one or two, which is a shame, but I hope they don't just do one. I hope not. But I do believe it's going to be a storyline like that. I do believe it's going to cover an area that's familiar, but it is a new region. And I do actually believe it's going to be a medium-sized area. It's not going to be as big as uh, Limgrave. Not, and more intricate than Lavernia. Might be, might be like a smaller, like a twenty-five percent smaller Khalid, or Khalid, or however you want to pronounce it. That place is kind of intricate. It's a little expansive. It's got a lot of moving pieces to it. It's got some underground networking. 
it's definitely an interesting area. Really cool. So if it's kind of that scale, that size, with that, and that has a lot of weapons and stuff in there, I could see that. I could definitely see that being uh, a possibility. I think that's what's reasonable, and I think if we get a DLC that is using cut content mixed with some polishing and refinement that they've been doing and learning from, it will be about that size. It'll be 20 to 30 bucks. It'll add some new content, a bunch of slew of new bug fixes and quality of life improvements, of course, as well. Probably 20, 30 bucks around the holiday season. Okay? And they might announce that there will be a DLC 2 coming later in the spring of following year, right? Or in the summer. So they got you hooked for the next one, knowing it'll come, sell you a season pass too. That I could definitely see being a possibility. Of course, if they are building it from scratch, um, and then maybe a multiplayer, some more multiplayer changes. Um, if they're building it from scratch, it'd be smaller. It'd be like the Halo Trader crumbling Azula. I can't see them designing from scratch something as expansive, even if they're using assets they already have, of course, I just can't see them do that efficiently and test it all in f six and a half, seven months before shipping. I just don't see that. So, that's where I think it's going to go. Now, the next segment is going to be my desires for the future of the game for the following year to year and a half. And this is the fun part. Okay, so now we're in complete dream hypothesis speculative i don't think i don't know if any of this will come true but here's my i'll tell you some ranges of what i would love to see i'll start with the more tangible more practical um so i gear my expectations of what is a little more possible but still kind of dream fever dream for me i told you earlier what i think is more realistic to come of it but here here's Kind of, I'll, I'll sell you the small scale dream of mine for the future in the next year of Elden Ring, next six to eight months at the very least of content. Of course, across the board, bug fixes, balances, general quality of life improvements. That's just a given. Okay, with that out of the way, I think I'm not too worried about the storyline. I'm interested in it and all that. I'm not worried about how that fits. I, I'm just worried about pure content and quality and depth and scale to the entire game where it adds on so I'll start with the smallest thing uh, one relatively chunky region maybe kind of the size of Limgrave and Khalid put together with some underground networking with about five to six new main bosses new enemy variants and types of enemies 10 to 15 new base weapons, 20 new named weapons, some new uh, NPCs that sell stuff, some new, you know, merchants, a couple new quest lines, uh, like five or six, uh, eight to 10 new great bosses, yeah, maybe six new main bosses, and then like 10, 15. Mini bosses, I think is what they're called. And then plethora, at least seven different new enemy types. Between a region that's that expansive in general size, with a, some buildings and some wooded areas, some underground components, some new hidden weapons, and maybe a new legacy dungeon under it all. 
with improved multiplayer compatibility. Just more stable, a little faster on the boot, and uh, a little better on the usage of the consumption or, or something. That's like more expected at lower scale if they're reusing or using cut content, kind of intertwining it all together, but still giving us a plethora of content that is fresh, new, and expansive enough. Doesn't, you know, for 30 bucks, if that came out in November, yeah, that'd be kick-ass. Now, I want to discuss an idea for DLC that I would love to see. High, high, highly unlikely, just because of how expansive this would be. Basically, it's Elden Ring 2.0, just not quite. Now, why would they need to do that? They don't. Uh, they really don't. They made a masterpiece. It's perfect the way it is. But here's the thing. <laughs> I've never consumed this much of a game this quickly. Any other game would be like, okay, you have enough. I don't need more content. I gotta get through all this. This game, I'm like, oh my god. You know? So, you know, we could wait for Elden Ring. But if they have all this cut content, give it to us now. And when Elden Ring 2, if that ever is made, comes out in 10 years, it'll be completely different and an improvement. So, not worried about that. Um, here's what would be great. Either if it was between one or two DLC. Almost. Maybe like an in half of the entire size of the current map. So it's almost like a new game. Remember, that's not highly unlikely from a critically acclaimed, really efficient studio that has made their biggest, most expansive mode that has become their most profitable. You know who did that last time? CD Projekt Red with Witcher 3. Witcher 3, when that came out, that was their biggest game in size and amount of content. Almost very similar to Elden Ring. It's a, it's a different style of game, but it's very similar in terms of its depth, its content, its improvement. It's critical acclaim. It won every award known to man. It was their highest selling game of all time. Sold like hotcakes. Shot them in the stratosphere. And they made two DLCs. And those two DLCs both of them combined equal near 40 to 60 hours of more content, which is, just so you know, the size of most average open world games. Now, Elden Ring's a little different. Elden Ring could take 200 hours if you take your time. If you, I had to restart my build, so that knocked out about 80 hours and put me back to square one. And it wasn't like New Game Plus where you have your shit. No, dead square one. Right? So... That's partially why it took so long. In reality of actual gameplay, if I just stayed on one build, probably I would have been near the 150-hour, 120-hour mark by the time I completed the game. And I explored a lot. And I did a lot of side quests and extra content. Main storyline, if you're just pushing through and doing the bare minimum and just upgrading a little bit, you could complete Elden Ring in about 30 or 40 hours, depending on your skill. Maybe even 25 if you're good and you know what you're doing. Extra content that you want to explore lightly, some side quests, some things to find. Bumping it near 60, 80. Taking your time, really learning it, exploring every nook and cranny, just having fun. Forgetting what you're doing half the time, circling back, all that. That will bump you over 100, 150, 200, so on and so forth. 
especially if you start New Game Plus, which I have. So I'm just talking for the first playthrough. And not counting me starting over from square one. Because I was at the frozen area, I beat half of the main bosses, I was level 100, and then I started over from square one and did it all over again. Now, I had more know-how, and so I got through that first segment a lot faster, but it still took me time. So, yeah, I'd say about 100 hours, if you're really just kind of enjoying it and taking your time and exploring, you could beat the full game and have enough of it and have fun and really explore. If you're speed running and rushing through, I'd say... Fifth, anywhere between 15 and 30 hours you can get through the main content and then kind of the middle ground 60 just kind of a scale of what I think so that 200 hours is the 100 hours that I had to add to 150 hours I've done beating the game and being in new game plus so in reality I've actually spent about 150 hours in this build the one I'll remember the most the one I have all my progress on now so, here's what I'd love to see. Dream scenario. Like I said, massive map addition. Like a whole new area that you just scale up. Like it's above all the other shit. And maybe you have to take a portal and it unlocks this entire new region. Uh, you know, that's fine. Um, or a lift, I guess. But that it, just the way the lands between so far is built, it just seems like this is a complete map. Like maybe a few pockets that are kind of grayed out or haven't been explored could be filled in. But those are small. I'm talking like combination of Lurnia, Limgrave, and Khalid with the underground networking and with a couple pockets in between like a halig tree. That's the scale I'm talking about. Because, let's see, on the Elden Ring map... In its totality of in the lands between. There is, let's see here. There's a lot, people. It's a huge map. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's absolutely ginormous, and to think you traverse it by steed or by foot at first to unlock everything. And there's teleportation stuff. But there are, for regions, there is the starting region, which is called... Which is a part of Limgrave. Limgrave is probably the biggest segment. It's the opening segment. It's the one you see in all the gameplay. Then you have Khalid to the right, the fiery hell point. Then to the left, you have Lurnia. There's lakes. It's mostly just lakes. There's some intricacies and caverns and ravines. But it's mostly just the lake. Then you go up and you cross and you get to the Altus Plateau, which leads into the royal capital. And then to the left kind of have this rocky mountain region and the volcano manor which is just a small pocket but that entire region is called altus plateau and you go up to the right and you get the mountaintops of the giants and you go up just a little higher and you get the halig tree stuff i believe is what it is yeah and then down to the right off in its own island next to khalid off in its distance you have the crumbling fair missoula so you have one, two, three, was it four, five, six, seven, eight main regions, and one, two, three of them. If you combine Lurnia, Limgrave, and Khalid, make up for half of all the landmass of it all. Like when you're looking at the map. So half of the landmass. About 50 sites of grace. 
four main bosses. 100 plus enemy types. <laughs> no, but like 25 plus different enemy types. Like 80 land and great mini bosses. About seven main side quests or main quest line stuff. And like 12, eh, probably eight merchants. It's a fuck ton of content, people. By the time you get to the Altus Plateau, you unlock the upper region of the map. And that's Altus Plateau leading into the city with the volcano matter manor off to the pocket. And then, of course, mountaintop of the giants, the snowy area. And, of course, you got your two halog tree and your crumbling firm. It's a little, 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 little small islands then take more than an hour to three hours to complete, give or take. Other than the boss. The boss is pretty challenging on those, but very challenging, especially halog tree. That's where Melania is, so... The, uh, I mean, that's like a final area. Like, I mean, you're you're damn near the finishing point of the game when you get to those spots. They're incredible. Incredibly designed. When you look at the map of In the Lands Between, of Elden Ring, when you look at it, and you look at all the clouds, all the sea, all the other pockets there could be, you see how much more potential there is. You also see how, like, absolutely there's no way... Topographically, it would geograph uh, geographically it would really like interlock unless, of course, you teleport. But even all the places you teleport in this game are just small islands very close to the region. But who cares? You just add that. You have them scale up. There's more brown and clouded fog to explore. And I'm saying if it is the span of Lurnia, Limgrave, and Khalid with the underground networks, with three to five main bosses, main story bosses like that. With maybe a small spin-off island that's hidden, that's hard to find. With a bunch of new weapons, a bunch of new content, fully integrated multiplayer co-op, up to four players, no summoning, no waiting bullshit. You load in and you can help that person. And then, I think what would be really cool, on top of all that new content, is a smattering of just ten or so new enemy variants... Like, just ten entirely different enemies, maybe 15, not just added to the new region, but sprinkled throughout the rest of the map. And then a, beyond the new weapons and enemies and stuff to unlock and treasures and talisman and hidden things in the new section of this map that's the scale of, once again, Limgrave, Lurnia, and Khalid with some underground stuff to it as well. I think it'd be really dope to also have new content that isn't just in there, but some new weapons, like 10 named weapons and 15 not named weapons. Um, and maybe a couple, like, truly legendary, like, super difficult. Maybe, like, two or three of them that are, like, take really long quest lines to complete. Not complicated, not tedious, just, like, a really difficult boss. Like, a mini-boss that's really hard. A hidden region, a mini-boss... And then a super difficult main boss, and you get this dope-ass weapon that's really hard to get. I think that'd be cool. Just some more content for us people that have already beaten it. And, and that would kind of freshen up the new game plus. Um, and then add a couple new great boss enemy variants that are sprinkled throughout the map, so it's a little more fresh. 
and have some dynamicism so they're not always in the same place. Some of the main bosses, of course, great. And then the main story bosses are fine, and then some of the main great bosses and May bosses are fine, but then have a few new ones and have a few kind of shifted around so it's a little fresh on your toes every time you do a new game plus with a few new items to explore in the places you've already explored, and then, of course, this whole new region you can explore. That would be about 40 to 60 hours worth of new content. That would be devoured and replayable at that. So that adds another 20 to 30 hours. I'd see that for $30. I'd get that for $30. That's not even half the amount of the game. It's about, I would say that could equal about 35 to 40% of the entirety of the game. For $30, I'd pay that. Hands down. Even if it's split up into two DLCs like that. So to recap, the largest scale, the biggest thing, would be about 40% of the map, almost 50. Lewernia, Limgrave, Khalid, that size, with maybe one, one and a half little underground network pockets. With five main new story bosses, uh, 20 great bosses, 10 land bosses, all new by the way. And about 15 new enemy variants. Smaller minion enemies, but they're completely new. We've never seen them mixed in throughout this new region. With about, eh, say, 15 named weapons. 25 unnamed weapons to find that are brand new. Covering all ranges and class. As, as well as armor. Maybe 10 new pieces of types of armors and armor sets for all kinds of classes. And five or six new talisman. 10 new spells, 10 new incantations, 10 is just an easy number, and it's still actually quite a bit. You'd be surprised. That's, that's plenty of content, if not too much. Um, fully integrated multiplayer. No more summoning, none of that shit. Well, maybe. I'll get back to that. And then... Um, Uh, and then a smattering of at least 10 new enemy variants as well, whether they're part of the new region, and they're put in the new region, but also sprinkled throughout the rest of the map that add dynamicism to the people who've already been in those areas with at least five new named and new uh, not named weapons sprinkled. Or maybe 10 or 15 for that matter, since they're unique. Uh, sprinkled throughout the rest of the map of regions we've already explored. And maybe two new great, or th three or, I uh, know, one new great boss for each region that we've already known about, Khalid and all that. That way it adds a new freshness for the new game plus for people who've already explored those areas. So they have a plethora of new content, new lands, new enemies, new weapons, and then small percentages sprinkling and spreading to the place we already know that adds some more dynamicism when you go back there. You're like, oh shit, I never fought this guy before. Oh, he's new. Oh, I could find something new here. With the multiplayer, and maybe with the multiplayer arena, so people could do 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, and 4v4. I could see that definitely being thirty to forty dollars actually for that amount of content. I, I'd do forty. That's definitely forty dollar price tag, and that's easily forty to sixty hours worth of brand new content plus the replayability factor can bump it in the hundreds depending on how many how much people want to explore. With a new legacy dungeon, with um, a couple new quest lines and NPCs in the mix, all of that put together, 
That's a fuck ton of content, people. And if that were to come true, I'd shit myself. I'd be like having... I'd be like almost half of the entire game of Elden Ring right now. But brand new. Fresh. Still in the world. Still keeping your build. That would be spectacular. Here's the other thing I want. Regardless of what new content comes. I'd love to see that much content. I don't really care. I'd love to see any kind of content. I don't want to just see like one like crumbling Faramazula map. Priced at 20 bucks. With like one new great main boss. A couple new small enemy types. And maybe three or four new weapons. I mean, I'd love to see that new content. Don't get me wrong. I'd want it there rather than not. But I don't want to pay $20 for that. I don't want to pay one-third the price of the full game for something that is not even 10% of the entire game. You know what I mean? If you're going to make us pay $20, you have to put at least 25 to 30% worth of content, I would think, into the game that's new or at least refreshing, at least spreading throughout the area. It doesn't have to be exactly in the scale. It doesn't have to be, oh, it has to be this big, this intricate, but something. At least 10, 20 hours worth of new gameplay that's challenging and fun and that's somehow scaled to challenge people who already played the game. Challenge them enough. doesn't have to be that. And that's unique. I think that'd be dope. I know that's a lot to ask for, so I'm not expecting that. Of course, that's my highball dream scenario to have that much content just plop down i pay a lot for that but um but i'll take i'll take a small 20 dollar. i'll take one new region with two main bosses three new great bosses five new enemy variants and like five new weapon types across the board and some improved stability i'd take that for 20 i know that's not a lot but it's a new region it's some new enemies and it's some new freshness I take it. I'm just excited to see whatever comes. We know that there has to be some DLC because of the market success of this game. So the, the question is, what kind of DLC? How expansive? How intricate? And can it be to the quality and the scale that we're hoping it would be? I hope. I really do. Last thing about multiplayer before I go into the conclusions. I do want fully integrated multiplayer. I don't think... That's too hard to ask for. Summoning works just fine. But let's just have it. You know how much more life that would bring to a game? And make it cross-play. If they added cross... First of all, if they added frame rate stability, even better. They've gotten better. But if they keep it... If they bump up frame rate and they allow you to choose quality and performance on anything from mid-tier console upgrades from 2017 playstation 4 pro xbox one x all the way up they allow performance and quality mode performance gets you 60 frames loses some of the texture some of the hd quality right that gives you a frame rate and keeps it stable at 60 that would be ideal if pc can pc already has a stable 60 if it can be bumped up to 120 i doubt they'd be able to do that on the engine but that'd be cool and then cross-play, multiplayer, if they also allow fully co-op up to four people if you want, invited to your party. It doesn't share the world. You have to do it again with all those friends. That would be the only tedious thing. Um, but here's to balance that out for the people who are like, oh, you need to experience it again, and since we're all used to the summoning system, 
even though it's a little tedious, it works just fine. Maybe your first playthrough, you can only summon. Now, I still think it should be cross-play. I still think there should be stability improvements, and it should be faster and easier to summon, but maybe not as consumer-based in terms of getting the fur-calling remedies. Maybe for the first part of the game, but maybe there's a maybe we can have a new quest line or new boss you kill and you unlock a permanent fur calling so you don't have to use a consumable. Because there's no point. It's not like the consumable actually would ever really run out unless you're not paying attention. There's herd leaves everywhere. You can pick them up. And they're just getting in the way. They just pad the runtime and they're inconvenient. The game knows itself really well to know it's going to push everything towards combat and getting cool, unique weapons that improve your combat and your fun. So having to collect flowers to summon your friends in a fully functioning and co quite fun co-op mode is tedious. To have to go to the side of grace to both have the side of grace unlocked or the area unlocked for one person to summon the other person to do the thing and then write their sign down all that. And then when you beat a boss or when you die, they get sent back to the point where they're summoned and you have to summon them again. And if you die as a host, you have to reuse that, reuse a fur calling that's a consumable. It works fine, but it's just inconvenient, and it's tedious, and it's time-consuming, and it takes away from the getting in and playing and just having fun. So I think if they have cross-play and they have fully integrated co-op, but maybe, so people don't get their panties in a bunch, the first time through, because you're going to want to play this game all the way through. I don't see how you wouldn't. First time through, and it might be an extra bonus reward to beating the game, you do have to do the traditional summoning. Now, if they made a little faster, a little more streamlined, that'd be great, but... That way you just have to endure what everyone else did. It works just fine. And then once you do that, everything on that New Game Plus, you can instantly party up up to four people. That'd be dope. Well, what if someone's already New Game Plus and someone's new? If the person that's new is hosting, they have to summon. The person who's not... It's not that it's not built in there that they couldn't, it's that they're literally locked out like an area that's not locked, that's not unlocked for them. They're just not allowed to yet because they haven't beaten the game. That's like one reward. Kind of like free play in Lego. You know? Just kind of like that. That'd be cool. And for them to not, like, if my friends could fully form, just join my world, and we could both be on our steeds, and it doesn't disconnect or boot them if anyone dies. If they die, they just respawn at a, the nearest side of grace that we both reached. Or It's just everything is the same, pretty much, other than we have our steeds. And then when we kill a boss, we're not sent back to our world and have to reinitiate summoning. Because right now, the way it works, as well as it works and as fun as it is, and it's worth it if you have a friend who wants to play with you, it's definitely worth it and super fun and can make things easier. It's just... You have to have enough of the fur calling remedy. You have to activate it. It, it is a consumable. Then the person has to draw their summoning sign, and you have to both be at the same spot in your own world and have it unlocked and have that side of grace or whatever. And then you summon it, give it a second, and then they're there. And that's all well and good, and they help you fight. If they die, they don't lose their runes, thank God, but they do get sent back to the world, and you have to reactivate that. And or if you kill the boss, mini boss or any kind of boss, they get sent back to the world. And if you die, of course, they get sent back to the world. You lose your runes. You gotta grab your runes. And um, you can't be on your horse, on your steed, on torrent to explore. You have to take everything on foot. So I think New Game Plus 
that should be a perk to beating the fucking game. You get fully, fully integrated, up to four-player co-op, no strings attached. Plus, that new content would be dope. If me and my buddy could just be on our steed, traveling, finding new areas, exploring new stuff for the, you know, new game plus is fun. I wish there is, um, I wish in New Game Plus, I like the scaling, I like everything about it, I wish they sprinkled a few new extra items. And maybe that could also be something. Every time you hit a New Game Plus, there's a couple new enemies, like bosses, and a couple new special weapons. And that would encourage people to get to, like, New Plus 9, play through the game nine times. Why not? Fuck it. If you can, why not do that? Anyway, I love this game a lot, and I love to play it, and I want to play other games. I've played enough of this game to say I could always put it down and take a break and come back and have just as much fun. I'm so proud that I beat the game, and I keep having fun with it, so I don't have any more pressure to try to finish it, because I loved it so much, I'm like, I gotta at least finish this once. And now I'm in New Game Plus, and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point I hit New Game Plus 4. I'm just gonna always come back and play this every once in a while, for a couple weeks maybe. So... Yeah, I would just love to have some fresh new content that I haven't seen before because it's still unique, it's still fun, it's always still just so fun to play. I don't mind seeing it again, but man, I'd love to see some fresh content. And I do think we're going to get DLC um, sometime within the next six to eight months, and I just hope it's as expansive and as fun as the game itself. I want to thank everybody for joining me. I had a great time talking about this game. Um, I go on and off it now that I've played as much as I have, but I really do love it. If you haven't played it, I highly recommend it. There is going to be some new content DLC coming, some improvements, and there is a possibility it could be everything we wanted and then some. It could just be a middle ground thing, but nonetheless, having more content to this brilliant game, having more updates is phenomenal. The fact that this game isn't finished, the fact that it's so uh, successful in terms of its financing gives it support as a franchise, as DLC, as content, gives it prioritization and improvements on its servers and its stability. It really gives this game longevity because it's the best-selling game from From Software, and they have some pretty good-selling games. So Bandai Namco is going to really keep pushing it. And, the, and it's good because every once in a while you get lucky in a game that's really good in quality and deserves the uh, proper resources after the initial game launch to continue some of its success. Not the same, but just to continue some new content and keep it fresh and keep updates so people want to keep playing the game so it's not broken and out of date. It's good when a game makes money as much as it does for that reason because A, it rewards the people who work so tirelessly on it beyond the accolades, but then also um, it helps with the content down the line and the stability of the game. You know, if this game made... F sold 4 million copies, we might see one DLC pack just for the love of it, and that's it. This is going to be a franchise now. It's their highest selling game. There's no way Bandai Namco isn't trying to figure out how to make this franchise grow. And it has the legs and the depth to be one. It's just a lot of pressure and a lot of work for an Elden Ring 2, but for now, DLC and some spin-offs would do just fine. And it doesn't mean this this company can't innovate. They innovated by making it overworld by changing some of their formulas, by improving and strengthening multiplayer. They could definitely keep improving and changing the formula while still keeping it true to what we love and expect from a From Software game and from an Elden Ring franchise. So here's to hoping the future. Thanks for sticking. Sticking around. Staying by.